the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Shout out to uh, shout out to our super producer, Max Williams, who is on vacation and is going to send me some out-of-context photos at some point. Everybody get ready. I'll update you if they're safe for work. Big shout out to our returning guest producer, the one and only Mr. Lowell Brilliante, uh, also the creator of the Prodigy podcast, Check it out as soon as you get a chance, but don't check it out just yet. Check it out after you listen to today's episode where I am joined with a returning special guest for their third time on the show. Fellow Ridiculous Historians, you know him as the creator of the soundtrack of this show. You know him as the creator of Ephemeral, one of the uh, best podcasts out there, neck and neck with Prodigy, in my opinion. Please join me in welcoming back Alex Williams. You guys do the best. I mean, you do the best introductions. I was going to say you guys, but Noel's not here. Noel is on adventures, uh, separate adventures from Max. That's my ride or die co-host, Noel Brown. Uh, we are doing this with his blessing and uh, adoration of you, at least. Uh, he will be returning soon. But uh, yeah, you're, you're, uh, you are our draft pick. You are, the, you are the one person out of all 12 friends that Noel and I have. <laughs> and out of those 12, out of the five that were available... You were the one who said yes. You know, it's nice to be on a list of any size or kind. Right. That's what the NSA is always telling me. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Alex, this is, as you know, we talked off air, this is one of uh, my favorite times of the year because we are hurtling toward the end of the calendar and on the way we're going to hit Halloween. Were you ever a big Halloween guy? You're, you're also, since you're Max's older brother, I have to ask, were you guys like Halloween kids? Yeah, very much so. Oh, I mean, yeah. we grew up in the suburbs. I don't know if that meant, but, I've you know, like trick-or-treating, mm-hmm. you know, door-to-door, sort of neighborhood black party style, haunted houses in the neighborhood. My birthday's in October, October 4th. Uh, I'm all fall, all Halloween, ever since I can remember. It's still there. Nice. Yeah, um, yeah, all about it. Nice. So you are uh, eminently qualified for this. That's eminently with an E-M, not like immediately about to be qualified, just because this is an audio show. So we talked off air, you and Lowell and I, about some, some. I don't want to say Halloween-y, but no, keep it. I, I, yeah, we can keep that, I right? I kind of like Halloween-y. I've sort of come around on that one. Okay, so so some Halloween-y stories we wanted to explore. And one of the ones that we, one of the ones that we're diving into this week on this episode is about vampires, it's about New England, it's about panicking. Yes, it is. Um, sorry, I don't, uh, yes, and. <laughs> uh, I just want uh, vampire jokes, Ben. I don't know if I have a whole bunch prepared. Okay. It's going to say something like, oh, Noel's not, you know, here because I, you know, uh, ex- ex- what was the word, exsanguinated? Yes, Exsang- yes. You know, bit into his neck and exsanguinated mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. To drain one of the blood. Alex, uh, If I had really thought ahead, bro, I would have brought those little plastic vampire teeth with me. And I would have totally, <laughs> like, not smiled at you or talked to you until we got in here. And I would have just been like, harsh, nice to the show. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, some people think vampire jokes are a pain in the neck. But <laughs> I dig them because my bar for comedy is, like, way low. I've been thinking about vampires so much today, but I think literally any vampire pun is going to get me. Oh, fantastic. Be warned. Well, okay, yes. Uh, also, tell me if we need to dial it back, because I got I got vampires on the mind as well. Uh, we're Okay, so when we talk about vampires today, what, what do we usually think about, Alex? Like, what do you think is— Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe, okay. You know, olden times, like medieval— Mm. times fangs i think of vlad the impaler yeah vlad tepish yeah if we're gonna go like literal though i and we could get into that if you want i i I, it seems like the connection between vlad the impaler and dracula and the whole vampire myth is maybe kind of over exaggerated Mm. in 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 popular consciousness what else do you think of like castles castles yeah uh unnecessary capes that they can still sort of pull off What's, uh, what, do you, what would you call an unnecessary cape? I mean, well, I, you know. What's I, a necessary cape? A necessary cape is when it's cold out and you don't have other kinds of clothing. Or I would say a necessary cape. If you're a kid and you're playing superhero, you need you need a blanket. Like, that defines your character. Capes often go on f- flying figures that fly. Superheroes yes. and vampires fly sometimes sometimes the rules aren't clear what is interesting is that the what you de- what you describe perfectly like uh, immortality maybe some heliophobia these these kinds of things all sort of coalesce in our idea of the modern vampire but as as you know 
if you look back across the span of human civilization, different cultures around the planet, you'll see something like a vampire exist in folklore. And often, I don't know, maybe I'm being like a grass is greener on the other side of the grave guy, but I feel like a lot of other cultures have more interesting ideas of vampires or pre-Bram Stoker. There was a mm. lot more variation in the idea. But today, you and I are going to talk about when this folklore had some very real, quite grotesque consequences for the people of early New England. You're talking about when Mel Brooks um, went, made with Leslie Nielsen, Dracula Dead and Loving It? Yes, yeah, which I count as early New England. <laughs> Wait, what am I here for? No, yeah, with it. Yeah, so when we think of New England, we often, early New England, people often think of things like the Salem witch trials. They think of Puritans. They think of the Crucible. Uh, but they don't think of a vampire panic. If we were to paint this scene of early life in let's say the 1700s in New England, then we'd see it's a pretty brutal life, right? There's not, I mean, people are, it's not unusual for people to starve to death. The colonists are having conflicts with indigenous people. Uh, people are struggling to grow food in an unfamiliar climate. And there's disease like everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I, I, was lucky enough to work on a show called Unobscured in, in, in its first season. I still work on it, but in its first season, we we uh, it was all about the Salem witch trials, and we got to interview all these uh, these great his, eminent historians um, that have done really incredible work about. It. And it's, it's it's really interesting. It's just like a few months in 1692. But yeah, everything you said. I mean, it was it was super hard. There was, there was wars going on all the time between native peoples and the colonists, and like you you, you know, I think there's this idea that. Um, you know, at least this is, I, I feel like the idea that I walked away from, like, you know, maybe primary school with that, like, it's like, oh, these sort of Puritans, like, you know, these pilgrims fled the old world for, like, religious persecution, and they came here and they got to practice it, and it was super nice. But really, people were, had very strong opinions here and very different opinions, and that led a lot to sort of where people settled, and so, like, the differences between different towns, even within Massachusetts, so the difference between Rhode Island and Pennsylvania, and the difference between Vermont and Connecticut, w was often, like, very sort of um, furtive ground for disagreements of all kinds. Yes, yeah, especially when you consider that for people in the secular world, or even for people who consider themselves religious in the modern day, some of these doctrinal differences might seem relatively, eh, like not, not too crazy. Can't we all just get along? But for these folks, they were hard enough limits to make visiting another, another area or another community feel almost as though one were traveling to a foreign country. And culturally, in some ways, you can see how people would feel that way because these are these are folks immigrating from various parts of Europe, right, over time. So you're right. This was not as hunky-dory as many public schools taught us. Uh, it's quite the opposite. Uh, this, this episode owes a lot to a retired state archaeologist in Connecticut named Nicholas Bellantoni. He put some time into kind of characterizing just how bad mortality rates were in New England uh, between 1786 
and 1800. 1786 is when health officials first started saying, we should figure out how many people are dying each year. I swear there were more people at the last Christmas party. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, I know that sounds cold, but they, when they, when they calculated this, they said that for tuberculosis alone, 2% of New England's population went down because of that. They died. And they didn't call it tuberculosis at this point. They called it um, consumption. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah. I, I just remember. It was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody. Like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino <laughs> and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, 
Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Consumption. I have not heard or seen a a reasonable explanation of why it was called consumption. It's just not a term that I really use or hear today at all consumption in any context besides like eating, consuming something. I think that's that's what I always that's why I always assumed I don't have a hard and fast answer for that, but I always I always assumed it was called consumption due to the weight loss that a lot of people encounter during tuberculosis. Oh, like the disease is consuming you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was the way that you mimed that that just clarified it for me, which I know <laughs> doesn't translate into audio. But okay, okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. Consumption. Yes. It's not so much, because I would think, you know, I would, I always hear that, you know, consumption is about eating, but I'm like, but if you're getting skinnier, if you're wasting away. Right. But you are being consumed. The disease itself is the yeah, consumption. It's out to get you're the one Ooh. on the menu. Yeah. This is and later in gosh, eighteen eighty-two, a doctor Robert Koch will announce that he has discovered the bacteria that causes tuberculosis. And basically and he, no one listens to him. No, no, of course. Who listens to doctors? Germ theory was not very popular as I understand it when it came out. People were like, what do you there is not little entities living all over the place. <laughs> it's magic, like it's always been. It always has been. Yeah. And and uh that reminds me of the story of Samuelweiss, the one guy who said, Hey everybody, maybe we should wash our hands. Since we're doctors, maybe we should just scrub our hands with a little. I didn't even have to be soap. Just run some water over them before we stick them inside people. And they were like, "This guy is an ass. Lock him up." They put him in an institution, yes. right? Yeah. You know how I learned that? Uh, not it's not a spoiler. They say it in Midnight Mass in one of these long monologues in Midnight Mass. Oh yeah, I love Midnight Mass. I I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Mm. It's and, not without its problems, but maybe we won't include me saying that because I don't want to get flack. <laughs> from Midnight Mass? From fans of it. Oh, no, no. I think people would agree. But uh, speaking of, speaking of problems, consumption. <laughs> yes, right. So you like the segue? Consumption is a problem here. Uh, we've got a quote from Bellantoni who says, this death toll, re referring to New England, uh, is not only terrifying, it's also a horrific way to die. Consumptives lost weight, they coughed up blood, their skin turned ashen, and sometimes they died a slow death, almost as if, lol, if we could get a creepy sound cue here, someone was sucking the life out of them. And like you, you, you set us up perfectly here, Alex, this is before germ theory. Even the learned men of the day, the physicians, aren't sure how to really explain how infectious diseases are spread. And because no one had an explanation, people started thinking through, like, 
their own ideas of what this could be. Yeah. You know, one other thing that I, that I, uh, that's really kind of terrifying, um, that I didn't realize about tuberculosis or consumption. I'm going to just call it consumption. It sounds classier. It's, it's really creepy. Mm-hmm. It's a really well-named disease. Now that you've made it so, you've illustrated it so well for me. But one of the things, one of the things uh, that I learned, and uh, when you sort of read on this this subject, you hear this name Michael Bell a lot. Uh, Michael Bell, it seems to be, is like the guy who really has has connected tuberculosis, the the awful. I mean, tuberculosis being the leading killer of people in New England at this time, uh, and. Uh, this particular panic that we're talking about today. But one of the things that that I learned from him is that tuberculosis or consumption could be very slow acting. Mm. It could come on and then it could go dormant and it could rest dormant in you for years and then suddenly could come back. People, and also, you know, it was sort of um, a selective killer, it seems like. Like people... In close quarters, you know, it would spread like a wildfire from one family member to the next. But then someone in the family might just not get it, or maybe they carry it for a long time and it wouldn't affect them till later. It has some eerie parallels to uh, coronavirus, obviously, uh, and just the way that you you like don't know when it's going to strike, but you know it's sort of in your midst. It's out there, yeah. And that's uh, an example of this. Would be perhaps the life of Doc Holliday, as played by Val Kilmer in Tombstone, <laughs> where, which is not super accurate. But but uh, he has traveled as a consumptive to a different environment with the hope being that a different climate will, um, will help him survive tuberculosis. A lot of people in New England at this time, they didn't have that option. They couldn't say, no, summer in Greece or whatever. (laughs) You know what I mean? They were like trying not to cough blood on whatever they were growing or, you know, the kids they're trying to feed. And you described something I think is incredibly important here, Alex, the the paranoia this kind of thing can uh, create because you are probably living in close quarters with people. A lot of folks, the the family is living in a, in a small structure. They're not able to effectively quarantine if if they practice some concept like that. In many cases, just living in the same home in these small structures was enough for the disease to spread throughout the entire family. But not only would it maybe play ball sometimes and then go dormant and then go back on its game over years. Not only would that occur, but people couldn't predict it. Mm-hmm. People didn't know someone you would think you were fine, and then you would start wasting away, but it had been several months after a relative had died. That's just when your tuberculosis, for some reason, went active. And that's what they talk a lot about, or health experts and historians talk a lot about tuberculosis in terms of latency and active, like latent tuberculosis, mm. dormant or active. And at some point, anywhere between 70 to 90 percent of the population of the U.S. had either latent or active tuberculosis. Nowadays, as you know, if you're listening, we figured out, we the human species, not Alex Lowell and I, figured out that tuberculosis is spread through the air. So just like with COVID, remember, did you ever go out during the pandemic and accidentally cough somewhere? Yeah. (laughs) 
I feel like I, 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 I coughed in the office today a few times, and I feel like everyone was staring at me, even though there was, there was four of you here. Um, like, I could spread tuberculosis to you. I thought we said we were going to call it consumption. I could, consumption, I yes. could consumpt you from here. Yes, yes. One could be consumpted, which I think we should use instead of consumed. Well, yeah, clearly. Consumed is at the end. <laughs> You're consumpted at the beginning. Yeah, it's true. But because people didn't have the benefit of germ theory, they weren't sure how to, what caused it, and they weren't sure, more importantly, how to stop it. And in places like Lynn, Massachusetts, this consumption, whatever it is, becomes the leading cause of death. We mean entire families are gone. They're, as uh, the more dramatic would put it, their bloodline has been erased, oh, consumed. And <laughs> no one no one could figure out what happened, why people would suddenly get this incredibly unpleasant death sentence. And if we go back to Michael Bell, who really did write the book he's on the this. Guy. He's the guy. Uh, he says, he points out some differences between COVID-19 and consumption, he says one of the primary differences is that it is, like you pointed out, Alex, it's much slower to manifest and it doesn't explode through a population. And when, when something explodes through a population, it'll leave behind people who were either lucky or had some kind of natural immunity. But this instead goes in and out of, uh, of, I don't want to call it remission, but it goes in and out of being active. No one knows. And this could go for this could go on for decades before it killed them. Anyhow, because people were so terrified, rightly, of dying or having their loved ones dying, they were trying to find causes. Uh, I think it was 1892, after discovering after the discovery of the bacteria. There was one doctor who was still who was still insist on things like tuberculosis is caused by drunkenness and want and poverty. Yeah, they always blame the poor. <laughs> they always blame the poor. Yeah, please just be less poor. <laughs> That's what I would do in your situation. You were spending time with the poor, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know they mingle with the poor. You know how else mingle with the poor? Hmm. Jesus Christ. I'm I'm a fan of the book. Yeah, yeah, he's famous for that. <laughs> he's famous, it's yeah, true. for that amongst many other things. Other things too, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And people were praying. People were seeking spiritual protection in the face of, let's see, not just not just tuberculosis or consumption, excuse me, but cholera, smallpox, yellow fever, measles, influenza, and then just straight up plague. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running, but it it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. There is a... I think kind of common misconception that I've also held with New England of this time too, that when you say spiritual protection, I think we all think kind of, you know, standard Protestant Christian kind of practices and beliefs. But there is also a whole lot of gray area to that. And there's a whole lot of other sort of traditions from the old world and maybe some sort of new new world traditions that get mixed into that. And there's folk magic. Yes. There's a lot of folk magic practice. You see it in all the way back in the 1600s throughout the Salem witch trials and again here in the in the vampire panic. Mm. Yeah, you do. And there is it's strange because folklore is probably best described as a conversation between cultures at these points uh, or various points in history and you can see it in Appalachia later, you can Really, you can see it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, some practice of what would be called folk magic. And to be clear, we're not saying that in a dismissive way. We're saying that these are practices, values, and belief systems that maybe aren't 
treated with the same dogma of an organized religion. Well, they don't come from an official source, right? Right. There's no one in the clergy that's telling you to hang a horseshoe upside down above your door to keep, you know, ward off evil spirits or, Mm. you know, leave your boots face up by the fire. Or did they burn their boots? Well, it depends on what's going on. Depends. There was there was a thing with boots and the fireplace and keeping the devil away. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I don't. They're not going to say that to you uh, in church, right? You know, during the sermon. But you know, someone might come up to you afterwards, be like, you know, if if you're really having an issue with the devil, maybe pop those boots off tonight. Can it be anybody's boots? And they go. Ah, it's probably better if it's yours. If I took off my boots, boots as soon as we got in the studio. It's true. Are those boots? Yeah, bro. Oh, nice. They're these Australian boots. <laughs> if I say the name, do you think they sponsor us? <laughs> Maybe give it a shot. They're sh- called Blundstones. They're so I've had a lot of boots, uh, man, they're tough. Yeah, this is not a this is not planned as an ad, but I do want to say in Alex's defense, we were hanging out at our favorite local bar which is, again, longtime listeners call the local. And <laughs> I had asked him about his boots, and then we went, it, like, you told me about them kind of in detail because I was looking for a good pair of boots. I think I put them on the table. <laughs> you propped the foot up at Dude, least. my girlfriend turned me on to him. She, she had a, a pair of these. We took them to the Petrified Forest. We accidentally went off trail and stepped in some cook from the prehistoric age. Oh, wow. You know, killed some burgeoning life forms. Yeah, it's still stuck to those shoes, but man, they're uh, they're about as tough as you can get. That's awesome. Blundstone, right. my name is Alex Williams. I host a show <laughs> called Ephemeral. If you wanna, if, I would love to get a sponsorship going on. Uh, I'd also love to be sponsored by not maybe early New England, but vampires. If you're out there, if you're listening to this show. There are apparently, um, there is, and this isn't really all that surprising, is, but there's a segment of the population that like in some capacity in surveys responds that they are vampires. Yes, different types of vampires too, right? Real vampires. Oh, like I must... I must drink blood. I must drink blood. Yeah. Not just people that affect a vampire lifestyle, but people that consider themselves to actually be vampires. Yeah, I've, I've heard of this. I've seen... There are a couple documentaries about people like this on the more extreme end, uh, there will be people who claim that they also cannot eat conventional sustenance or they can't eat conventional food or drink. They you ever eat. drank blood before, Ben? Yes, of course. How much? <laughs> <laughs> like I've sucked that, you know, like, I, you know, I cut my, you know, got a cut or something on my, you know, yeah, a, a per, on, on my own body. Okay. And, and you know, sure. drained a little blood, you know. Yeah. Salty irony. Uh-huh. I mean, what's the largest quantity of blood you think you ever... Or if you got something in your... You know, you got a tooth that gets messed up, you got blood in your mouth. Sure, yeah. You floss one time. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, Well, I am not going to answer uh, (laughs) any more questions about that experience. I guess it is a pretty taboo subject, right? Like, if you were into that, how many people do you think you could talk to about it? Uh, uh, Probably, you know what? Maybe not everybody, but the people you could talk to about it would be a very passionate community. They would mm. want to share those stories, right? The X-Files has a great episode with vampires. I'm sure they have more than one, but there's sure. one where it's like three kind of young, sexy vampires like living together, and they've got some kind of menage a trois-esque relationship. Like heavily implied. Yeah, and they've got drama. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the, the, there's the, the, the lead that kind of, you know, has this, also sort of sexual energy going on with Mulder is like 
describing how savory and fulfilling drinking blood is. Yeah, that's the the idea of the seductive powers of a vampire is, I don't know how, it's definitely not as prevalent in early New England as it is today, right? Like today you've got the Twilight Vampire, today you've got, you know, the, the seductive vampire. And it's funny because it goes into another thing kind of unrelated. They're often, uh, often very like sensual words are in print and in speech used to describe two things, sex and food. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm, How decadent, Mm, luscious, that kind of stuff. And it makes sense that she's describing uh, this, this character uh, that you're talking about in X-Files is describing essentially was eating in very sensual terms. But that's not what the vampires are like in the in the vampire pandemic yeah. in, in in New England at all. They're much more honestly, they're much more like zombies. Yes. Yeah. There's this idea that so the idea of what we call the vampire first appears in Slavic Europe around the 10th century. There have been plenty of other human-like monsters drinking blood, but, you know, good old vamps started in Slavic Europe. And according to Bell, who we mentioned earlier, his, his argument is that Slavic and Germanic immigrants brought those superstitions of vampires with them in the 1700s, maybe around the time a specific group from Germany was colonizing Pennsylvania, or maybe Hessian mercenaries, right? And he thinks that you can't pin it down to like one family coming through town and saying, whoa, I remember these from the old country. You've got vampires. He argues that it probably came from more than one time through more than one source, which makes sense to me because it feels like corroboration then, right? You've got multiple people who are seemingly confirming, oh, yeah, vampires. That's way different from one person going, I think it's vampires, because somebody else in town walks up and goes, someone say vampires? I agree. It, it's kind of, I don't want to get too far ahead of it, but it's it's even further complicated by like, well, who was used in contemporaneously, who was using the term vampire? Mm-hmm. You know, was it just the media, which is what it seems like. It was mostly a word that was used in media of the time, but not maybe so much in uh, individual accounts. Right. And what were they thinking of when they said vampire, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. It's what's in a word. What did the word vampire mean to them versus to us today? And I agree that it's much more like the modern idea of a zombie uh, if if yeah. I may, yes. If if I could explain it to you, and you tell me if I've got it right. Okay, we're in a family, the Williams Ben Bolin Lowell Brilliante ridiculous history family, mm-hmm. like we are here in this little mm-hmm. studio together. Yeah, and Lowell, great producer as he is, gets sick with consumption. We do our best. We send him to a sanitarium. We we send him to Colorado Springs. He seems like he's going to get better. He doesn't. He's gets all skinny and he's foaming and mm-hmm. he's got blood coming out and he's he's not doing well. He's staying up weird hours of the night. We're like weirded out by him. And then one day it's mercifully over. I Don't- swear it's just allergies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I those, were, those were his last words. <laughs> those were his last words. 
<laughs> oh, poor Lowell. And Too so it's like, you know, yeah. the mid-1700s, late 1700s. We want to bury him in the ground, have a nice Christian funeral, but the ground is frozen. Right. We stick this guy in an above-ground tomb in a box. We have the pastor come, say a few nice words, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Mm -hmm. And we go on with the rest of our lives, you know, uh, missing Lowell all the while. Right. But then Ben gets sick. I do. And the same symptoms are happening. The same weird stuff. <laughs> his cheeks are getting flushed. He's getting, his like eyes are sunken in. Even more than usual. <laughs> he's like coughing and he's starting to cough blood. I fear I've lost my appetite. We sent him to uh, the Adirondacks to upstate New York because we've got all the money to yeah, just send do. people to all the sanitariums. Yeah, I go along too, bring the Blundstones, break them in. Uh, <laughs> but Ben's not getting better. Everything we try, we take one of the best doctors who do like leeches and bloodletting and whatever. We take one of all the best doctors and it's not working. Yeah. And I've tried everything. I want so badly to save my guest co-host. Mm. So I don't know, I guess, I guess I'm your guest co-host, but whatever. Uh, and I'm... You know, people in town start saying to me, you know what it is, right? Right. I mean, you know why you can't? It's because Lowell over there in the ground is exercising his will from beyond the grave on mm -hmm. Ben. He's literally getting out of the, the corpse is getting out of the grave or out of the tomb at night, probably when no one's looking and coming and preying upon you. Mm -hmm. Or is it more of a, psychic kind of spiritual way that it's, you know, like he, like he's somehow projecting himself onto you. And so it's, is it, is it, is it physical? Is it, is it mm -hmm. spiritual, spectral? So this part, this is interesting because this is where we get to the first off, Excellent rendition. <laughs> Thank you. Ten, ten. Uh, I've got it. That's more or less the, the yes, idea, right? That is exactly the idea. And People back then were just as intelligent as people are now. They they didn't have access to the same um, level of research or the same like knowledge of medicine that modern folks have. But they weren't knuckleheads. You know, there were plenty of skeptical people who would say, "All right, well, that's malarkey." Uh, but then there were also people who would say maybe I believe in an afterlife, so maybe this is another part of it that I am not aware of. And there were people who believed that they were physic, they were mentally, or and through some incorporeal form, they were traveling to their victims, drawn by their life force and their the fact that they had known one another in the waking world. Or, like, the big question, if you're a skeptical at all, is if someone is physically rising from the grave, why is the grave not disturbed, right? That was one of the big questions. And we see, um, we see accusations of vampirism in other parts of history when someone had been prematurely buried, which was, becomes a huge concern, uh. <laughs> I think, in, in Victorian times especially. Just check out the inventions people made with the little I'm-not-dead uh. bells. That's what I call them. <laughs> but, uh, but I think he nailed it because even if you're more skeptical at this point, if you're surrounded by death, you've lost multiple people in your community, you've lost more than one family member, and you think more might be on the way, maybe your maybe your last healthy kid isn't looking so healthy, mm -hmm. then you start to say, ah, 
I don't know, maybe I'll try anything. And if you, and, and it's a really good point that people, people aren't, haven't been all that different at any point in time, right? Not really, I, no. You know, it's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy story, a crazy collection of stories, but you go and you try to look at it empathetically. And I, th- and this comes from Bell too, but I mean, you know, imagine the father who's tried everything for his last ailing kid and is like, I guess I'll try this crazy thing. I'll dig up my dead wife. And this is where we get to the grisly, strange, all too real stories. We're actually going to make this a two-parter because Alex Lowell and I really want to, well, dig into the grave of it. Sounds <laughs> insensitive. But we do we do want to uh we do want to give some real examples and we want to spend some time here. So we're gonna pause and we'll be back very soon with part two of the New England Vampire Panic. In the meantime. I I don't think I've ever done this before, but thank you to Alex Williams. Thank you to Lowell Brillante. Alex, you are going to come back for the second part of this, right? I want to. (laughs) I want to very much. Uh, Very much? Close, yeah, not bad. Uh, Lowell, uh, are you you on board to come back? I I think you nailed it with that allergies line. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Uh, so... Hey, uh, let me see if you can guess this one. We'll go out because we promised some bad jokes. Uh, Hey, Alex, why does Dracula always read the most popular newspapers? Why does Dracula always read the most popular newspapers? I don't know, Ben. Why does he? Because he likes the ones with good circulation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Well, we hope that you've weathered that one and you too. And we hope you enjoyed this, Ridiculous Historians. We hope you tune in to part two of this. Big, big thanks, Alex Williams. Big, big thanks to Lowell Brillante. Big thanks to Max Williams. Big thanks to my ride-or-die co-host, Noel Brown, who will be returning uh, soon. And big thanks to Gabe Luzier. Alex, where can people find Ephemeral? And like all of the social medias, it's at ephemeral.show on Instagram. I think some of them don't have the dot. And then our website is www.ephemeral.show. All right. And uh, Lowell, where can people find Prodigy? Uh, Wherever they listen to their favorite shows. All right. Well, with no spoilers, then please do check out both Prodigy and Ephemeral. Stay safe, folks. We will talk very soon. In the meantime, uh, let us know what your Halloween ideas are. Can't wait to hear from you. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.